Representative Dr. Jeffrey Mislove, welcome uh, to the Edge broadcast. Pleasure to be with you. Well, you got you got quite the bio, man. I was trying to chase you down on on a, on a website, and then I found you on about five. So you you've got a lot of irons in the fire, and it, and they all seem to revolve around um, consciousness and uh, uh, after after death and things like that. So you're starting to reach into that realm. You're looking into that. Uh, give us a little preface about yourself, and then why did you start researching in that area? Well, um, Daniel, Cosmic Cowboy, you seem to have uh, uh, certainly established quite a persona for yourself, uh, and it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm uh, glad to be on your program. Thank you, sir. If you had known me back in 1972, uh, you would have seen a graduate student in criminology volunteering at San Quentin Prison in the psychiatric unit, conducting group therapy sessions with murderers and rapists, and uh, expecting to have a career working in the criminal justice system or working in the uh, psychiatric uh, system in some way, dealing with the negative side of human deviance. And it was at that time, some 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago now, when I had the most powerful dream of my whole life. It was a dream in which my great uncle Harry, 50 years older than me, came to me in the dream. And uh, it was so powerful. It was like a merger of our souls. And I woke up from that dream. I was just crying, tears of joy. And I was singing a very sacred song from my religious background. And, and I wrote home. I said, how's Uncle Harry? I had a dream about him. My mother called me as uh, soon as she got the letter and said, how did you know Uncle Harry just died? And in fact, it turned out he died almost at the very moment uh, when I had that dream. Wow. And, wow. Uh, that, that gave me a lot of pause to consider, you know, what am I doing with my life? Why am I pursuing the negative side of human deviance when there's this other world out there, a world of consciousness, of mysticism, intuition, psychic phenomena, survival after death. So I resolved to change my focus after I had that dream. And I agonized about it for many months because at a place like the University of California, you can study psychopathology and crime in many different departments, but if you want to study psychic functioning, there was almost no way to do it. But I uh, discovered uh, a, an obscure rule at the university that if you were a graduate student in good standing and you wanted to do a doctoral dissertation on a topic that no department was willing to sponsor, but you could find three faculty members in different departments who would sponsor you, then you could create your own unique doctoral degree program. And so that's what I did. And I've really been on that path ever since. Wow. You know, it's interesting, one of your slogans here, as you see it up there, new yeah. thinking aloud. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm technically an unabashed Christian. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you mentioned your religious background. I completely believe in, in the Bible and its tenets and read it. And I, 
and uh, it's uh, the it's the most uplifting thing I've ever consumed, so to speak, and internalized. But at the same time, this show, that being the case, also allows new thinking. And I've been able to do it through all these years, allow new thinking without, uh, let's say, uh, setting people up, guessed up with a diametrically opposed opinion or belief system. I've tried, I've had this sort of belief system myself, uh, doctor, that everyone can bring something to the table no matter what strata they come from. And if we just allow the conversation to take place, then we'll both be better for it. And I, I may I say that the human condition will be uplifted in a more positive direction rather than, as you say, going in a negative direction. I would agree with you. And I, I think the attitude you're expressing is an embodiment to true Christianity. Well, and so I've had a number of people on talking about consciousness. So I'm, I may, re for those watching the program, uh, by the way, those watching the program, if you have a question for uh, Jeffrey, just put it in the live chat. It'll, it'll get to me. And by the way, welcome uh, Omega and Put Yahweh First. Just jumped in the, the live chat. By the way, Doctor, we also have on the website a poll question rega regarding tonight's conversation. And the question is, what is consciousness? And the viewers can choose your mind, your spirit, incoming sensory information, state of awareness, sentience, or what tells you right from wrong. Right now, here's the poll. 57% uh, of the respondents say it's a state of awareness. Uh, I know I went through those rather quickly, but uh, what do you say consciousness is? Well, mate, could we do all of the above? Absolutely. I should put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many different ways to describe consciousness, and people debate it all the time. But uh, there was a philosopher, Thomas Nagel, who wrote a wonderful book about uh, what is it like to be a bat. And the, the point of it is to be conscious means that there has to be something that it's like to be you. You have to have some experience, you know, like, let's take this uh, computer mouse. I don't think it's like anything necessarily to be a computer mouse, mm -hmm. uh, but probably a real mouse. It's like something to be a mouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the difference, I think, between consciousness and, and no consciousness. Mm -hmm. You know, interesting, too, um, just the way we perceive things. And I'll use this example that we perceive things which aren't necessarily true, but we may internalize them as a truth. For instance, you take a solid steel table, and I, I, virtually anybody, a layman particularly, of course, um, virtually anybody would say that's a solid table. Nothing's going to get through it. Uh, you know, you can pour water on it. You can do this. It's, it, it, there's no holes in it. You can, you know, then it's good. The problem is if you had a stainless steel container with hydrogen in it, it would leak hydrogen. Because the molecules are so small that they go through the fabric of the solid steel or the stainless steel plate. And so that's the problem with hydrogen as far as an energy source. They can't connect. So what I'm saying is, even though we think it's not, th there's gaps. There's something that's holding everything together. All matter is being held together. And I don't, and I'm, I'm amazed some of it is not just flown apart. In fact, I think a physicist would probably tell you that that solid steel table is mostly pure vacuum. Mm. It's our consciousness, and in particular, our sensory system that uh, makes these objects appear solid to us. But uh, 
You know, a neutrino, for example, can pass through the entire Earth. Uh, it won't stop it. So whether things are solid or or not is really a, a property of who we are, not what they are. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a there's a, a an interesting uh, uh, uh scriptural text to that it says uh, something on the order uh, that god holds all things together by the power of his word and it, like i was just getting ready to say i mean it, it's amazing that you know but now some people still wonder the earth is spinning around why we're not ejected off like a merry-go-round so you know but <laughs> but many things are they, they seem to be held in place by certain laws yeah. call it quantum physics call, call it something but there seems to be some law and in one way or another, when we're looking at consciousness, there must be a set of laws that are applied to that. Is, is, am I right? Is it, or you think it's just chaos? Well, no, I don't think it's chaos at all. I think if you, if you look at the universe, for example, uh, there are things that took place billions and billions of years ago at the very origin of you know what physicists call the big bang and the the first few seconds minutes hours and and first even hundred thousand years in our terms uh, after the big bang if those things hadn't happened just the way they did we couldn't be here today mm-hmm. so uh, it, it seems as if our universe is designed to support human life. Mm-hmm. There, there you go. I, I like the word designed. It seems like there's an intelligent design. But hey, since since you mentioned the Big Bang, I'm going to give you my Carl Sagan impression. Okay. Billions and billions of stars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all I got. I, I can do Elvis too. I can do Elvis too. Oh, what do you mean, man? <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. All right, that's why I got the hat, man. All right, um, here's a question for you from our one of the viewers from Rose. says, Doctor, what is the difference between being criminally insane and being just mentally ill? Well, the criminal insanity is a legal definition. It, it, it's something that has to be determined in a court of law and uh, – really is not necessarily related at all to mental illness. Mental illness is a psychological and psychiatric definition to be determined by a a doctor. And most people who would be defined as as mentally ill, according to a psychiatric definition, would not be defined as insane, according to the uh, legal definitions. Mm -hmm. Completely different professions, completely different processes and can, can, requirements. Can insanity happen apart from consciousness, or is it an integral part of consciousness? Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah, uh, if 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 you're not conscious at all, you mean could you go insane? Is that the question? Well, that'd be a partial question. I mean, I'm just saying, if you have a typically uh, uh, an insane person who's behaving uh, like they're insane or been been, been diagnosed as being insane, is is that is that consciousness? Is the consciousness always um, coherent? But say maybe the natural state of the mind, maybe is that where the insanity lies, or are they connected? Let me let me put it this way: from my own background as a parapsychologist, many people. 
report to me their psychic experiences. I think they're extremely common. In uh, Christian terms, they'd be called the gifts of the spirit. But if you go tell your psychiatrist that you're having these experiences and they look it up in the diagnostic and statistical manual that they use, they will see that, you know, if if you have apparitions, if you think you're seeing ghosts uh, or you're experiencing missing time, which is often reported by UFO contactees and the like, a psychiatrist might say, "You're, you're psychotic, which is very close to the legal definition of an insane. Psychotic is a very severe form of of mental disorder. But in fact, another way to look at this is you're having a spiritual breakthrough. And, And sometimes a spiritual breakthrough means that you have to break down many of the uh, viewpoints that we uh, become indoctrinated in living in a materialistic culture, Mm -hmm. which says that all of these things are impossible. And uh, so there's a conflict in in a sense between the spiritual reality. If if you're a student of the Bible, you know there are many examples of uh, spiritual experiences that people have. God speaks to people. Angels come and visit people in uh, not only in the Bible, but in the religious uh, scriptures of virtually all cultures. But these things in, in a materialistic culture, and our culture is largely materialistic, uh, particularly the uh, scientific establishment is based on the metaphysics of materialism, which is just another belief system. It's not a necessity for science. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, people so, can get into real trouble. Okay, so you just triggered a whole flurry of thoughts from, from, uh, from my perspective here. Uh, yeah. Jesus told the disciples, when you go to preach, he said, don't bring us, don't bring script, don't bring another clothes, another cloak, don't bring food. And th- then I kind of, kind of connect that with, um, uh, um, uh, the matrix where Neo asked Morpheus about dodging bullets. And he said, uh, he asked him, he said, so will I be able to dodge bullets? And he said, no, when you when you come to it, you won't have to. So the score seems to me what he was telling the disciples was that you would be able to you wouldn't have to worry about dodging bullets. You wouldn't have to worry about being cold or hungry because they would manifest because you're moving away from the naturalistic world, which keeps your spiritual gifts at check. Then you move into a world where. Everything is possible to you, as he said later in another text, and you, you won't have to struggle with that. But we and I, so I think there, there's a there's a lesson there about the carnality and and the naturalistic world that is there, and we experience it. But as you said in your opener, there you've discovered there's something there's something else going on here that's quite more interesting and more powerful. But this is keeping us from realizing the benefits of that over here. Am I making any sense to you? You're making a lot of sense to me. Uh, You know, when it comes to religion, a lot of people with a materialistic, uh, so-called rational scientific viewpoint might say, all these religious people are childish in their viewpoints. They're like children. But actually, there's an enormous body of science that supports a spiritual outlook on life. 
And uh, the materialists tend to deny that science as if it never happened. But as a parapsychologist, I can tell you we have 150 years of solid empirical scientific data. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to a couple more questions from Australia. Uh, says, Doctor, why does someone pop in the mind or in my mind only seconds before I call my phone? It's happened several times each week. Um, that's an effect that is well known in the field of parapsychology. Uh, we've done many, many research studies on it. You could think of it as an example of precognition. Uh, another way to look at it is also in terms of the physiology of the body. We do measurements, for example, in the laboratory where people are wired up and we can measure their galvanic skin response and uh, brain waves and things. And if I was to show you a, a stimulus that would be emotionally arousing. Uh, let's say if you're afraid of spiders, it's a picture of an ugly spider, mm-hmm. for example. Before I even show you that picture, and, and it's randomized, so you don't know what picture is coming next. It could have been a flower. But when it's a picture that's particularly emotionally re- arousing, maybe a sexual picture or a frightening picture, uh, your body will show a response even before the picture is shown to you. So uh, it's it's something that is uh, well understood in, in this field, and that research has been replicated numerous times in perhaps a dozen different laboratories at this point. Well, if it's, if it's able to be replicated, then doesn't that pass the scientific test? Yes, by by all of the standards of normal science, this research is uh, completely valid. But uh, by and large, the mainstream scientific and academic establishment treats it as as if it doesn't exist because they uh, they view it as uh, being supernatural and the mainstream philosophy uh, of naturalism says. If something is supernatural, we can ignore it completely because uh, things that are supernatural are impossible. So we don't even have to look at the data. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Omega says, what's your take on the third eye, the uh, pineal gland, and do you work with it or practice with it? Uh, yeah, the third eye comes from Hindu philosophy where they talk about the chakras seven chakras, which are, you could say, organs of psychic perception, Uh, one at the top of the head uh, that sort of opens you up, you could say, to infinity, one here right in the middle of the forehead, that's the third eye. It's often associated with psychic functioning, intuition. There's also one at the throat, which you could say is associated with people who are very articulate, charismatic, have the gift of speech, one in the heart, associated with compassion, and so on. And uh, I I have a lot of respect for uh, Hindu philosophy and Hindu traditions. They're uh, often, they're very ancient, and they're very consistent with Uh, the data of parapsychology, by and large. Some people associate the third eye with the pineal gland. And we now know that the pineal gland does produce what are known as an entheogenic 
compounds, for example, DMT, which is a very powerful psycho psychoactive substance, is produced in, in the pineal gland and is actually also throughout the brain. But uh, so there's a lot to be said about it. Seem like seem like in from what you're talking about, seem like there's a song in the '80s. It goes something like, uh, it goes Shaka Khan. A shaka Khan, uh, let me tell you what I'm going to do. A shaka Khan. Oh, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. I, I get to say that because when, when this this here keeps my insanity from escaping, but sometimes it comes out. But hey, yeah. let me let me ask about this. This is exciting. Okay, so you got an award uh, from the Bigelow Institute. Yes, that is amazing. I, now, didn't that's Robert Bigelow? That's Robert Bigelow. Did, yes. Didn't didn't he at one time own the Skinwalker Ranch? Yes, he did. Now, I'm just wondering, because for those who don't know, uh, he has the Institute for Consciousness, and he gives out grants. He's given up out, up to a million dollars. And here's what he says. Uh, it's a challenge for those people who research into contact and communication with postmortem and discarnate consciousness, also known as the afterlife or other side, leading to the reception of higher order information of value to mankind, quote, wicked wisdom acquisition with the allocation grant totals of a million dollars. So he's already got, he's got um, uh, 12 projects where people, he's given people $50,000 and four projects. He's given them up to a hundred thousand dollars. People that he would, and I think, I don't know if this came after the Skinwalker ranch, but I think he bought the ranch because of its uh, paranormal activity that is well-documented by the best scientists and best equipment ever and then he sold it to somebody else, and they came up with the same uh, identifiable uh, activities of supernatural events happening on that, including Bigfoot sightings, portals opening, UFOs, cattle mutilations, uh, underground stuff going on. So I'm just wondering, did, because what he found out there, it, did he just sort of gravitate to this, to create this institute? Well, he originally had an organization back in the 1990s called the National Institute of Discovery Science, and they were focusing on uh, bizarre aspects of the paranormal, UFOs, as you say, cattle mutilations and, and the like. And, and they purchased the Skinwalker Ranch, and I think their research continued up until maybe 2009. Or, or so. When when he gave it up, there have been several books out about it. The most recent, just published last year, is called The um, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, and it talks about the uh, involvement of the U.S. government in research there. Uh, but he sold the ranch, he gave it up, because there were unfortunate things happening. It wasn't all positive mm -hmm. uh, light and love for people, and he felt he couldn't protect the, the people who were having uh, unpleasant experiences right. there. I think, I think what some of that what happened was entities or something actually followed investigators to their houses. So they called it the hitchhiker effect. And uh, uh, Brandon Fugel, another entrepreneur, bought the property and has established a television series on the History Channel about those paranormal activities. They are now in their fourth season on the History mm -hmm. Channel. Um, maybe I'm related. I don't know, but it is a question that I have. Have you ever heard a term called mass psychosis? 
Uh, yes, I've heard of the term. I, I often wonder if that's not what's happening in our country these days. Well, that's exactly where I'm where I'm going with it. And one of the one of the examples of that is if you just take say um, somebody posts something on Twitter. It's it's like you can see a swarm of people swarming over there, and then it, then there's another one over here. Twitter over here, and it's like. They're going, there's like this mass of people, hundreds of thousands, you know, and they, they go berserk. They start barking at the sky. They start cutting themselves. They scream obscenities, and then they see another one, and, and there's something going on. There's some mass psychosis that seems to be, and then that's just a Twitter post, but we can go with a lot of events that's causing this. It's like a mass of people that almost driven, but I'm just wondering, something's unhinged here. Some mooring maybe that kept that kind of lockdown is gone. It seems, I don't know. What's, what's your basic thoughts on that kind of idea? Well, it's very complex and we're in the middle of it, which makes it hard for me to uh, figure out in, entirely. But I have to say uh, I'm 75 years old. I'll be 76 in a month in my lifetime uh, things have never become as polarized and as crazy in the United States as they are today. And I, recently I've taken a look at it in terms of evolution. Evolution is sometimes described as punctuated equilibrium. The things go along, they're stable, they're nice, everybody is happy, that is animals, for example, like the dinosaurs. They were having a very good life, a very balanced life, and then all of a sudden comes an asteroid, and uh, the dinosaurs all die out within a, a relatively short time, but that was necessary in order for humans to uh, appear. Mm -hmm. And now it seems to me as if the, the humans are, in, in effect, we're destroying our own nest you might say. Now, people will disagree about this, but uh, there's a lot of evidence that uh, we're living in what is called the sixth extinction. We, Because of human behavior, entire species of animals are becoming extinct almost on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. We're polluting the planet. The ocean is full of plastics. We're going to reach a point where all fish will be unsafe to eat. Uh, one could say that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to end up uh, killing ourselves off, mm -hmm. if not through nuclear war, through uh, some other uh, catastrophe that will be a, of, of our own doing. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's necessary mm -hmm. because it's happened many times before. It's called the sixth extinction because there were five more before this one. And it may be part of a natural evolutionary process that things get pushed to an extreme, things go crazy so that they can break down and so that something else can, you know, if we're lucky, something else may emerge. Maybe yeah, you talk, some you talk about, you talk about, you talk about pollution. I, I seem, seem like I saw reports, some, and I, I, I thought it can't be true. I thought I read that China's building a coal plant every day. Now, it can't be true, but I, mean, I wouldn't think, but I know they're building them. They're building mass coal plants. And I know uh, Germany now, uh, they've shut down their coal plants, but now they're, they're getting ready to be freezing their people to death. And so 
they're getting ready to open up another a, a, a shutdown coal plant. And I think there's windmills on there and they're shutting down the windmills because they're not generating the power. And so now it's chaos over there. But so there does seem to be, and this is what really makes me mad, doctor. Thank you for bringing it up. I know that we have the technology and resources to feed every human on this planet and give them clean water to drink. But we just, we can't ever get there. We always have this infighting and the, the, the poorest of the, of the world always seem to be left out, out of the conversation. I just feel like we could fix it. But I just don't know why countries don't get together and do it. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a mystery to me as as well. You've got some people who say if we all act together, uh, we could solve any problem. There's no problem that we can't solve if we come together. And then there are other people who say that's the most dangerous thing in the world. We should never come together. We've got to be selfish. I've got to protect my family first, my country first. And uh, those people who say we should get together, they are globalists and they're dangerous. Uh, but I grew up always thinking that, um, you know, one of the best things that ever happened is the United Nations and the idea that nations will talk to each other and try and address the problems that exist. We're, we're all uh, citizens and maybe even children of this planet. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, it's very healthy to think of ourselves as planetary citizens. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. We're all, we all share this space together. And, you know, the Indians have a saying that says, uh, uh, we all live in the web and, and what you do to the web, you do to yourself. You're talking about the nest. I guess you could call it the, the web, the nest. Uh, yeah. But I think they were talking about the, the web web of life. Um, but I, I, I can say this about population and globalists and others too, that those that, Feel there's too many on too many humans on the planet. I, I notice that they never volunteer to reduce it their self, starting with their self. I notice that they always say we got too many people over there, but not here in my house. I I, I kind of notice that. Am I missing something there, or is that kind of way it is? Well, I suppose you could say it's a survival instinct mm-hmm. uh, and human nature. Where at the end of the day. You, you might say that we are primates. We are uh, we have uh, cousins who are chimpanzees and uh, gorillas and uh, orangutans and bonobos. And uh, th- those are members of the primate family. Uh, we share certain characteristics with them. And uh, amongst them is a, a certain aggressiveness mm-hmm. and, and so forth. Well, I can tell you, I'm quite happy in my personal belief that I didn't come from a monkey, but I have my doubts when I go to the store and see bananas. I start, I start to wonder. I start to question myself. All right, here's, here, here's, a, here's a question from Rose. It says, Doctor, I've had many paranormal experiences, ghosts, aliens, demons, angels. Why do some people like me have this gift and others don't seem to have it? That's an excellent question, and... Uh, the best answer that I can give, and it's certainly not a final answer, but uh, there has been a lot of research on what is called temporal lobe volatility. The temporal lobe is part of your brain. And 
some people have temporal lobes that are, you could say they have thick boundaries. Nothing gets to them at all. They're, they're very materialistic. They don't see ghosts or spirits or angels or demons or aliens or any of that. And other people have, you could say, thin boundaries or actually electrochemically, the brain is less active. And, and, and so they don't have those experiences uh, so it, it could be a simple question of physiological differences, just like some people are good at math and other people are good at music. Hmm. Okay. Um, uh, he says, uh, this is from Bear, who gives us the Bear Report every week, he says, tell us about the picture in your background. Uh, we see something on a tripod back here, Doctor. You do. Uh, oh, oh you, I see. You mean that picture? Yeah. Right back there. That is a, a picture of Bodhi Dharma, who is the founder of uh, Zen Buddhism in China, uh, the founder of the uh, famous temple uh, where the uh, they practice the martial arts. It's on the tip of my tongue, the uh, name of the temple. And uh, in that image, it's it's an ancient Chinese woodcut. Uh, he's crossing the Yangtze River uh, by uh, on a reed. Uh, Bodhidharma went to see the emperor of China, and the emperor said to him uh, something like, um, "Who am I? Tell me who I am." And Bodhidharma said, "I don't know who you are." And the emperor was very displeased. So Bodhidharma had to flee from him. And he, as he's fleeing, he comes to the Yangtze River. And he, he steps on a reed and he crosses uh, the river on a reed. And then he goes and uh, founds this famous, uh, the Shaolin Temple mm -hmm. in, in China, where they begin the practice of uh, Buddhist monks uh, practicing the martial arts. It's very okay. famous. Well, since, since, and, since, many movies. since the, the people are uh, obviously paying attention to your background, and do I see a door, upside down door back there? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a door. This is my office in uh, where I live in Albuquerque, and behind that door are the furnaces uh, in this uh, big house where I live. Yeah, it's a, it's a cabinet that holds furnaces. Wow. And okay. Okay, okay, okay. Water softener. All right. Uh, there's a, a question for you. Often, uh, quite often, I spontaneously. Well, I guess it sounds like it must be a different question. All right. Uh, I spontaneously call someone only to have them tell me they were about to call me. Uh, am I tapping into their future intentions? How is this happening? You could call it a synchronicity. Uh, that would be a term from the uh, psychiatrist Carl Jung, who was very, very open to spiritual phenomena. He, he, uh, began reading the research of J.B. Ryan, the founder of American parapsychology at Duke University. Ryan coined the term extrasensory perception. And when Jung, who was practicing in Switzerland, uh, read his studies, he, he thought, gee, you know, my patients have similar experiences, like the one of this caller who, who talks about, you know, I'm calling somebody just at the very moment that they're trying to call me. And Jung said, that's a synchronicity. Mm -hmm. And he, he described it as an a-causal, meaningful relationship. You could think of it as a way that uh, the universe is connecting us. 
Uh, and we've had a lot of people on the show talking about synchronicity there. One person uh, claimed that they were able to exist by sheer synchronicities. That is, going from one event to the another, they didn't work, but they synchronistically would drive down the road and meet somebody that would give them money or they would pull up the gas station and somebody would pay for it. They said they were able to get in some sort of lane or some kind of zone. Uh, mm-hmm. Does that sound possible? Uh, it does sound possible, but it doesn't necessarily. I mean, I think it's true for some rare individuals. And I, I can say that my life has largely been guided by synchronicities, but I wouldn't want to depend on them all the time. Uh, isn't it sort of operating in a centric uh, synchronicity uh, sphere? Isn't it sort of like uh, if you start looking at the ground for pennies, all of a sudden you're going to start finding them? Well, it could be but like they were always that. there. I think in religious terms, you might say you're trusting the spirit. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so let's get back to the root, the root of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, to me, that that says there's some sort of beginning or some sort of epicenter from which it comes out. Uh, yeah. Why do why do you call it the root of uh, consciousness, and what are you talking about? Well, that was my first book, The Roots of Consciousness. It was written in 1975. And, you know, I was a young man at the time. I thought it was a clever name. Uh, I had a mentor back then who, who, when the book was published, he came to me and he said, they should have called it the flowers of consciousness, not the roots. The roots go much deeper than you wrote about. But uh, if we're to talk about the roots of consciousness, I think, honestly, it comes down once again to spirit, or you could say God. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not a Christian, but I'm very uh, open to the ideas, many of the ideas that are in Christianity. I I like, I've interviewed uh, in my program, which you've been so gracious to show in your background, New Thinking Aloud, I've interviewed uh, Matthew Fox, a theologian who wrote a book called The Coming of the Cosmic Christ. And I felt that uh, uh, that's an idea I could really relate to. Mm-hmm. Well, The Cosmic Christ, if that's the, if that's the case, you should, you should see the opening, opening for this show. Have you ever seen it? No, I would love to see it. Well, I always play I play it before the show and after the show. But when I put up the, the edited video, another intro goes on but there's so that intro about the cosmic christ appears it's in our video for the mm-hmm. the live opening and okay. closing of this show so you'd actually have to watch the show live um to Brother see it daniel i'm gonna do that okay well yeah take your time sometime and do that so all right yeah. so let's get back to this now so the root of consciousness i still want to go there because i'm fascinated by consciousness itself let's just take a a plant it does is a plant conscious or have consciousness i, I, I don't know for sure i i i've heard both arguments that plants are not conscious animals are and i've heard the argument that plants are conscious very conscious but it's quite different than an animal uh, form of consciousness uh, from my perspective i would say the whole universe is conscious. I don't have any problem with that. I don't think the mouse here is conscious, uh, but I think that 
you know, the ecosystem is conscious and plants are, are part of that. So I think maybe the best way to say it is that plants are an expression of a higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, earlier we were talking about chakras, uh, the pineal gland. Uh, some people take uh, various hallucinogenics to achieve some higher elevated spiritual consciousness of that. Uh, uh, myself being, as I said earlier, uh, um, I'm a Christian, but my, my, my highest form of spiritual contact that I can say that I had one time I was, uh, that I know that was completely apart from the subconscious or any type of thing. I was sort of in a mood and I, uh, I asked God in, I, I was talking to God. I just, I just, I was really sarcastic. I said, look, are you trying to talk to me? Do you want me to go to church tomorrow somewhere? I wasn't going to church at that time. And I'm not a person that believes you got to go to church every week. I, I think wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus in the midst, that type. But anyway, so I was sarcastically talking to him and I was zapped, doctor. I was zapped with an electrical. It was like a, it was like a, and what happened was what I, what I can tell you, the best way I can describe it is every molecule in my body started vibrating and uh-huh. and I heard in that vibration, I heard, literally heard the voice of God. And he told me exactly where to go the next day. And I know I, I didn't tap into the chakra. I didn't tap into hallucinogenics. I didn't tap in into uh, the pineal gland. This is all a natural man with a spirit. So that tells me that many of those things may not be necessary because if you can get to a place, you can, like I said earlier about the matrix, you won't need to tap into your chakra. You will just be one with the creator. And I didn't deserve that because I was in a mood and I couldn't believe I got it. I thought, you know, I might get, I might get a smite. You know, I, I thought I'm going to, I thought I was going to get a smite right there, but, but I didn't get a smite. I got the revelation of God's presence and reality in such a way that it leaves you with a transformed life. So I'm just saying, so if you do come this way, uh, a lot of those things that may be tools to get you where you need to be may not may not be necessary when you get to another place. Well, I, isn't that called the gifts of the spirit when they happen spontaneously like that without any sense that you earned it or that you deserved it? Uh, it happens many many times to people just that way. But I have to say, in my experience, it's not enough just to have a spiritual experience. You took that experience and you've turned it into, uh, well, amongst other things, this podcast Mm -hmm. uh, that we're on. You're now uh, living out the experience that you had by sharing insights with the world at large. And that's that's what makes it real. That's what makes it alive. That's why I do what I do. And I noticed, like I said, I went to your various websites earlier um, and you talk to people. Can you, do you have a story that I know it's hard on the spot, but does anything like just stick out? Like when somebody asks you this question, a story that shocked you and you go, wow. Well, I did uh, a lot of research when I was younger with a man named Ted Owens, who called himself the PK man. And he believed that uh, he was the world's greatest psychic. And he said he could prove it. Uh, and he, during the time that I worked with him, he performed many demonstrations of psychic powers. He said that he was like Moses. 
that he could create large-scale events uh, such as are described in the Bible around Moses. And I, I worked with him. I studied him for 15 years or so, um, 11 years to be precise, from 1976 when I met him to 1987 when he died. And uh, during that time, uh, I saw, amongst other things, he, he could produce or predict UFO sightings. He said, and I asked him, could you produce one for me? And he said, yeah, I'll create a UFO within 100 miles of San Francisco. In fact, he said, I'll create three of them. And at one point, he called me up. He said, I can feel it coming. This is going to be a big one. So there's going to be a UFO. It'll be seen by hundreds of people. It's going to be photographed. And the photographs will be printed on the front page of one of your local newspapers. And within three days, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, see, right there, we were, we were talking about somebody, somebody asked earlier, why does something happen to somebody? Something, you know, the same, same thing doesn't happen to another person. I have a similar story to yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a guest on the program. His name was Prophet Yahweh. I was at a, at a radio station. And he I know said, who that is. Okay. You do? Well, look at yes, that. Yes, okay. he's from Las Vegas. Okay. And he said he could call down UFOs at will. Okay. You just reminded me of that. So I said, okay, man, I got the cameras ready. I'm going to go right outside the studio. You, you call them on down. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm getting interference. I'm, I'm getting interference. He says, oh, can't do it. <laughs> so see, well, I do. It there is you. a video on YouTube where he did do it. Okay. And, well, see, uh, I didn't and, get and it. The local, the local TV station came with their cameras and videotaped the UFO and broadcast it. I got You're cheated. In- in, in Las Vegas, and with Ted Owens, not only did the uh, photograph get published in the front page of the Berkeley Gazette in Berkeley, California, it was seen by hundreds of people on the ground and in the air. There was a pilot in the air uh, above Sonoma State University, where the art department had brought this pilot in. Stephen Paleski was his name. He was an artist doing acrobatics with his airplane in the air and smoke trailing out the back when the UFO appeared right in his airspace. So it was seen from the air and the ground. It was videotaped by members of the art department, and the videotape was broadcast on the Channel 9 Evening News in San Francisco. Well, so, give, me your, give me your best guess that how, yeah. the, what connection would it be to call a UFO to materialize? Well, you know, there are different schools of thought. Uh, My, well, my best guess, it boggles the mind. There's no easy answer. Uh, One person I've interviewed says it's demons, it's supernatural entities, and, and we should avoid them. Other people might say it's psychokinesis produced by the brain. Another person might say it's precognition. He didn't cause it. He predicted it because he could see the future. Uh, honestly, I'm, I think that reality is more complex than we know. Mm-hmm. All right. Well said there. All right. Here's uh, some more great questions coming in for you. Um, Omega says, Jeffrey, do you still your mind for meditation? Yes. You know, and I try that every once in a while, and and not as somebody, I'm sure somebody's thinking, hey, don't watch out, you're going to let demons in there. But Jesus said that we need to quiet our minds. You know, God said, be still 
and know that I am God. And I think you get revelations if you can. But doctor, so I'm trying to be still and all of a sudden the mower comes in. Okay, I got to cut the grass. Okay, and what am I going to do after this great meditation comes in? Then I fight it back and I get maybe a second and then, and then I say, man, I'm getting kind of thirsty here. I mean, how, how do you, how do you d- disconnect from that? Well, you, you can't really try to control the mind uh, by force. You have to let the thoughts come. They're going to come. And then once they've come, you let you recognize that they're there, and then you can let go of them. Your mind will quiet for a while, and then another thought will bubble up. And when it bubbles up, you acknowledge, there it is, ah, so, and, and then you let go of it again. And gradually, over time, the thoughts become more and more uh, – or, or uh, let me put it this way, they become less and less intrusive mm-hmm. and you become more and more mm-hmm. relaxed. There are many studies in physiological laboratories showing that uh, over time, advanced meditators in particular are able to quiet their minds. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too, there's corroborating scriptures and uh, it goes something, a paraphrase that says, um, I looked for God in, in the storm and he wasn't there. I looked for God in the earthquake and he wasn't there. I looked for him in a tumult. He wasn't there, but he was there in a still small voice. That's where he was. And it seems to me that the the noise that we surround ourselves, we may be here from God all the time. He may be speaking to us all the time, you know, giving us synchronistic information of where to go, what to do. You know, I'm sure that his best, you know, his word is a light and a lamp into our path. So I'm sure that we might call it synchronicity, but some could call it fate. Some could call it divine direction. But if you can't hear, you got no shot. You're going to run right to a wall, make a wrong turn. And, and that's why I think if you go into a casino, I used to live in Las Vegas, so I had I never gambled, but I would go into the casinos from time to time, and they're very noisy. There's all kinds of colored lights and flashing and, and noises everywhere, bells ringing. And I, I think the point is that, People are going to lose more money if, if they're distracted by all the colors and lights and sounds and alcohol and cigarettes and everything in that environment. Uh, you don't find uh, casinos creating quiet, still places where people might get into their touch with their intuition and, and break the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, is consciousness a digital simulation awakening in our electrical bodies? I tend to think not. I I don't like the analogy of uh, consciousness to a digital computer. I don't even like the analogy of uh, people like to talk about the electromagnetic brain. And yes, of course, there is a lot of electromagnetic activity in the body. But when it comes to my specialty, the paranormal, where people can see into the future and send their thoughts thousands of miles uh, to another person in a distant country, for example, you cannot explain that using electromagnetism. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of electromagnetism, I'm going to give you a shocker, but you're a doctor, you might already be aware. So I'm a beekeeper. And uh, a fascinating fact, flowers emit an electromagnetic field. And when a bee gets close to that field, the hairs on the body bend and the pollen literally jumps off the flower onto the bee before the bee even gets there. Oh, how interesting. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. 
for electromagnetic field. Huh? Also, they say, oh, hey, hey. Also, uh, flowers put off ultraviolet light that the bees mm -hmm. can see, and it helps them to zero in where the pollen is. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. All right, that's my electromagnetic electromagnetic uh, statement for today. Um, is If the spirit is eternal and our spirit is conscious, are we conscious before we are born, albeit in a different realm of sorts? Uh, yes. And there's plenty of evidence uh, in the field of reincarnation uh, to suggest exactly that. Yeah. Wow. Um, it seems that Google has some idea that they want to transfer human consciousness into a machine. You mentioned that you don't even like the idea of tying those together, which I, I think, I think they're so far as like a amoeba on a jet plane. I mean, it's just, it's just, there's no, <laughs> you know, no, no, no correlation there because the, 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 the vast amount of things that are in the supernatural world, but they want to take consciousness and, and, and put it into a chip somewhere and give people the idea they can live forever through that chip and, and plant it in a, a cyborg type body height. Uh, so are they going to achieve that? Well, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, it's, I guess you could say it's an admirable ambition, but it almost reminds me of, of the biblical story of the Tower of Babel or something. If we can only build a tower tall enough, we'll, we'll get up to God in, in heaven. And I just don't think that's the way to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing is, one of the things that you're obviously doing, I'm doing, you're, you're hunting for secrets. You're hunting to unlock some secrets or get some some light on some mystery, but but the fact that you're doing it and I'm doing it, we're, we're basically agreeing. There's a mystery out there. There's a lot of mystery out there. I think it's very exciting to look down those roads and, and see where they lead to. But yeah. is there a limit to where we should look? I mean, should, would you say get a Ouija board out and say, well, I wonder what kind of consciousness is going to be in that? Well, you know, you're hinting at the demonic again. You're hinting at the negative side of, of all of this, and that's very real. So my basic uh, rule of thumb here when people ask me, should I take psychedelics? Should I get involved in seances? Should I use a Ouija board? I know people who have done all of those things and gotten into trouble. I know other people who have done them and had no problem at all. And so what I suggest to people is if you have an intuition that you ought not to do this, listen to your intuition. Oh, well, well, if you have yeah. an intuition that this might be good for you, then trust your intuition. Mm -hmm. But it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as far as the negative side, over the years, we've been doing the broadcast since 2003, had lots and lots of near-death experiences. Uh, but from what I can tell, and I've heard it from several people that investigate near-death experiences, that about 25% of them uh, aren't a light going up to the clouds in heaven. 25% are near-hell experiences. Uh, have you talked to any near-death experienced people? And have any of? And I know you don't like to talk about the negative. I'm just saying I'm trying to establish the fact whether or not there is a near-hell experience. Oh, there definitely is. But to my understanding, the research and, and people have looked at it statistically, it, it counts for maybe five to eight percent of near-death experiencers, much below 25 percent. Mm -hmm. And in many of those cases, it's because people have a, 
a belief system that uh, when they uh, that they that they they expect because they feel guilty about something they've done, they're going to go to hell. And uh, that belief system, you know, what what you very often in a near death experience, you see what you expect to see. If you're Christian, you may see Jesus. If you are a Hindu, you may see Yama, the Lord of Death. Uh, there, there's a lot of cultural input when it comes to these things, and so uh, oftentimes. When people have the, not every time, but oftentimes when people have these negative experiences, it's because they've been conditioned to believe that they've done something and deserve to be punished. Mm -hmm. Now, all the all the near-death experienced people that I've had on the show over the years, I, I don't uh, I don't do a background check on them per se. If they you know if they say they have a website, I have to have a book. You know what happened to me when I died crossed over. I thought that's interesting. I want to talk to them about it. Uh, but in all those, so I don't do an in-depth research of, you know, oh, did you see Jesus? I'm making, you know, I don't make sure that they saw Jesus. I don't make sure they saw God or angels. I just, it's a topic. I mean, I, I got, I'm too busy and I can just deal, I can deal with a word and make a show out of it. That's, you know, you get good mm -hmm. at it. You know how it is. You can do it. But um, n not none of them ever said that they saw um, um, a, a Buddha or any, anybody like that. I mean, every single one of them is, is like a Jesus or angelic experience. Am I just, is just luck of the draw that I'm not getting those that have seen? Well, I can't say that I'm personally aware of anybody who said they saw a Buddha. But very often, uh, people do report a, a, a being who is a, a being of light. It could be interpreted in many different ways culturally. If you see a being of light who is expressing love and compassion, and then you come back to talk about it, you'll use the, the language that is appropriate to to your culture. Mm -hmm. and, well, uh, and then I've got this little factoid and another yeah. genre, because if you look at our website, you can see that we cover everything. There's not really any sacred cows here, per se, irrespective of Buddha. Sorry, sorry Buddha people. <laughs> Uh, but no, uh, but um, in the alien abduction realm, yeah. all of those people that I have talked to that have said that they've had alien abduction, believers and non-believers alike said the abduction stopped when they used the name of Jesus. Even unbelievers used that name of Jesus and the abduction stopped. Uh, again, I got to say, just from anecdotal experience here and my limited amount of from 2003 to now and all those interviews, that none of them said they... That that they said in the name of Allah, or Allah prevented that or stopped, or Buddha for that matter. So I mean, it's categorically it seems, I, I, you know, again it could be just some us not getting those people. They may be out there, but I've not got any of them. You know, um, I think what you really need to do to understand this is look at some of the surveys that have been done where thousands of people who have had these experiences, and there are probably over a million who have had near-death experiences that are surveyed in large numbers. And, and then we would have a sense of uh, the proportions that uh, are affected by uh, Islam or Buddhism okay. or uh, their own particular traditions. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, put you all way first is uh, what? grand prize is uh, Bigelow offering on the essay contest? 
Well, the essay contest ended over a year ago. Uh, he gave out, I think, a million and a half dollars in prizes to some 29 people. And uh, I received as, as the grand prize winner uh, half a million dollars. Wow. Congratulations. Well, thank you. By the way, there's a PayPal button on the left side of the website. Just go down here, click on that. If you'd like to keep this broadcast going. Okay. <laughs> There's a shameless plug. How about that? <laughs> okay. And also want to welcome Reload Skidmark and Doreen8951 and Antivirus have all joined us in the live chat. If you have a question for Dr. Jeffrey Mislove, you can put it in the live chat and it'll come over here to the studio. By the way, there's also a poll. Uh, what is consciousness? And I'm going to take a look at that poll, see if we moved any, move that needle any, doctor. It looks like state of awareness is still number one, but I like what you said earlier because the answers of consciousness is state of awareness, your spirit. What tells you right from wrong, your mind, incoming sensory information, and sentient uh, sentience. Um, if a person dies, does their conscious or their spirit go out of the body? Well, I would say that, uh, did you say conscience or consciousness? Their consciousness. Okay. Yeah, I, I equate consciousness with spirit. I think they're pretty much one and the same. And where do they go when the body dies? I think of it in terms of uh, the mathematical notion of hyperspace. That is, dimensions of space itself beyond the three dimensions we experience through our senses. And that uh, when, when the body dies, it's very much like you could say a snake shedding its skin. The three-dimensional body falls away, but we are higher-dimensional beings, and the higher dimensions still remain. And does 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 the consciousness survive forever? Can it be destroyed, or can it change into a different form? Well, I'm inclined to think that that pure spirit is infinite and and eternal. Mm-hmm. I, uh, that's that's my um, a priori assumption, basically. But there are many aspects to us, things that we refer to as soul, that uh, are going to fall away. They, they may last a long time. They may last for thousands of lifetimes. But sooner or later, they won't be necessary. And, and we'll return to the very source from which we came, which is pure spirit. Some people claim that uh, they have been abducted, that aliens appear to not have a conscience. Um, they're sort of a very matter of fact. Um, in this country, there's there's crime on an order that you would think, if you've seen the video, that the criminal has no conscience. Not yeah. we're talking about consciousness, but now we're talking about conscience, a sense of right and wrong. When the when a person doesn't have that. Is their consciousness seared? Is it altered? Again, I kind of went back in the first hour, talking about if a person's insane and their consciousness, does it follow along? Is their consciousness insane? Or is it this massive information or being type thing that is smart and, and is celestial and eternal, whereas the insanity part is the mind and organic? So I guess, I guess I'm posing the same sort of question in a different fashion about a, a, a criminal criminal who does such an act like said butcher somebody and goes goes and get a coke at McDonald's. Yeah, um, and and certainly that happens. So I think we need to distinguish between being conscious 
and having a conscience. Uh, right, right. One way to think of it is that consciousness consists of many, many different aspects. There can be your emotions, there can be your intellect, there can be your sense of right and wrong, there can be your sense of your own body and your sense of purpose and what you can do. And some of those can be very highly developed and and others can Mm -hmm. be uh, completely undeveloped or even absent. Mm -hmm. So Rod Serling said in in many many different ways in his opening of Twilight Zone, and one of them, I got a quote here, one of them, says, you're about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. So right there, he's sort of suggesting that that there is a dimension of the mind, and the mind brings you into this land of imagination. But I would say, is it could it also be written a journey into the land of consciousness, another consciousness in another dimension? Well, indeed. I mean, that's why we have dreams. And uh, we've talked about Carl Jung, the great psychiatrist who practiced an art he called active imagination, which is like a waking dream. And uh, it's through the realm of imagination that we enter into what the uh, philosopher Henri Corbin referred to not as imagination, but the imaginal, Mm -hmm. which is... A, a realm that is very real. It might seem imaginary, but uh, it would be a realm where you run into spiritual guides and teachers who are actually, uh, one might say, very, very, very real in their own dimension, like as you experienced in your own epiphany. Um, somebody's asking, can you give a quick synopsis of your award-winning essay regarding postmortem survival of human consciousness. I could uh, give a quick synopsis. It's tricky. It's a hundred-page essay, but uh, to put it very simply, I would say the best evidence for postmortem survival comes from nine different independent areas of research that are all pointing in the same direction. And they include reincarnation research, research on near-death experiences, research with mediums, mental mediums, research with physical mediums, research on possession, research on a phenomenon known as xenoglossy, Uh, deathbed visions that people have is another area. Uh, And yet another area would be uh, what is known as instrumental trans communication, uh, which is people who communicate with deceased loved ones through their computers or their radios or televisions through electronic media. Uh, so there are all of these elements. Uh, you could try and tear down any one of them. But when you look at all of them together and see they're all pointing towards post-mortem survival of human consciousness, then the argument becomes, in in my opinion, invincible. Mm -hmm. The Shroud of Turin has a three-dimensional figure impressed upon it. Many people say it was some sort of nuclear light emission of some kind that's never been able to be duplicated for those that say suggest it was a fraud, that the technology simply doesn't exist to do what it did. But it does appear that some image went through the cloth, and that cloth does exist, and it's three-dimensional. 
is that could that be the consciousness or the being coming through uh, sort of in a magnified way, but we as as say regular human type people in a much lower scale, say like we'll float above, so to speak. I haven't really researched that area uh, myself, so I cannot speak from a lot of knowledge, but I, I would say it's possible. For example, I had a mentor, his name was Arthur M. Young. He was the man who invented the Bell helicopter, the first commercially licensed helicopter. And he uh, was a mentor to me and uh, a philosopher and a cosmologist. And when he died in 1995, uh, there was a double rainbow that appeared around the sun uh, in the city of Berkeley, California, where he lived. So uh, I do think that uh, extraordinary things can happen mm-hmm. when when a very special saintly person uh, passes. Mm-hmm. So I guess what, what I'm suggesting is that might be the best evidence because somebody asked about evidence earlier of a transition between this life. Now there is that where some people speculate that uh, when the spirit comes out of the body at death, the body weight decreases 23 grams. I think they made a movie out of it. Uh, but it seemed like this artifact is an example of something. Somebody glowed in such a dimension and those recorded came back to life. But that would also be a post-mortem artifact of life after death. Possibly. I, I wouldn't rule it out. I think it reminds me of uh, George Harrison, the Beatle who, who died, and uh, his wife, Olivia, was in the room at the time, and she said, at the moment of his death, there was light that was so bright that if you had been in the room, you could have photographed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had somebody send me a video of of a of a entity that was she 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 said her mother's like on uh, on her on her on her bed in the house, but she's crippled and she can't move. But she says. She said her mother kept saying that somebody keeps coming in the room at nine o'clock. So she put a camera in there. She sent me a video, and at a specific time every night, and clear as day, there's an apparition that comes in and hoovers, was hoovering above uh, this lady, giving proof that there's some kind of awareness of her condition. I think she's passed after that, but it is almost as if there was somebody, something being sent to to say, we're going to. Help you move to the other point. The other thing I want to bring up, Doctor, is is curling and photography. Doesn't that prove that that this body, is, that the, the the consciousness or spirit fits the form of this body, and that you could take it literally take it out and it would be the same person, but it would be in a say a spiritual form. Well, I'm a little bit skeptical of uh, the claims uh, like that associated okay. with early in uh, photography. It seems to be some sort of a, an electrical discharge that is photographed because it's a, a uh, high uh, energy photograph. Electricity is uh, put into the uh, photographic system. It, it's not clear to me uh, that it's anything more than some sort of an electrical plasma Discharge. I don't know that it's related to okay. uh, spiritual phenomena. Okay. Uh, in India, they have a caste system. It is culturally justified because they believe in reincarnation. Are they correct? 
I think you can believe in reincarnation perfectly well without having a caste system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and do they think uh, that their relatives are, are the cows walking around New Delhi? Well, I've been in New Delhi, and you will see cows walking around. That's where we get the phrase, the sacred cow. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I can't say that I understand the Hindu religion well enough to uh, really appreciate what what's behind that. But uh, um, it, I, so I would just simply say it's it's a cultural tradition. I don't know what else to make of it. Mm-hmm. You, about where th- where phrases came from, it just sparked it in my imagination that the the handwriting is on the wall. Yeah, that's that's from the Bible. In, in the Bible, there's a story of a hand that appeared and started writing something on the wall, yes, and it's King the said, book "Hey, of Daniel." So you know, hey, but anyway, so I'm I'm open to these spiritual type things happening, but uh, it's just that there, there's got to be some some uh, some wall that prevents the negative forces to sort of like um, impersonate a good force. How do you make that distinction? Well, I guess at the end of the day, it it boils down to uh, what in spiritual traditions is called discernment. And the discernment is a product of your own level of spiritual realization. And... uh, so a, a very gifted person, will uh, that will be a spiritual gift, the gift of discernment. But uh, I think we see all over in our culture, in the world of sales, in the world of politics, uh, people who uh, actually uh, have selfish motives, uh, but are going to try and present themselves to you as, as offering uh, gifts, gifts of the spirit or gifts of money or uh and it's up to each person to determine uh, whether they're telling the truth or not. Mm-hmm. So in, in all your searching for knowledge, wisdom, um, solving mysteries, let's just say that you did. You solved a lot of mysteries. What would Dr. Jeffrey Mislove look like? How would he behave? What, what would he do if he found the answers, if he knew the answers to the questions that have been plaguing mankind forever. How would you be different? Well, I don't know that I'd be much different than I am today. I, I put up four to five videos every week, interviews, just okay. as you do. And uh, I try to interview the wisest, most experienced, knowledgeable people that, that I can find in order to share that wisdom and knowledge with the uh, public at large, and that seems to me to be a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, whether I'm wiser and more knowledgeable than I am today or not, I've been, I've been doing this for 50 years. Mm-hmm. So, see, it's easy because I get because I get to interview you, so I get I get to have all the fun. So, have, and put people on the spot, and I don't have to be put on the spot. So. Uh, <laughs> Do you have a nugget of wisdom that you have gleaned, uh, uh, an overarching, like a love thy neighbor thing, an overarching life mission of statement that is uplifting and you'd like to share it with people? Well, thank you for asking. I I do, in fact, have a, a goal to which I aspire. It's not necessarily a, a goal that I 
can say that I uh, have succeeded in living out. But uh, it's very similar to what you just said, and that is to love everyone and everything all of the time. Hmm. Okay, well, that that's admirable. That's admirable. A lot of people would say it wasn't. When I interviewed the theologian, Matthew Fox, he, he said, you mean I'm supposed to love the devil? And I thought about it, and I said, didn't Jesus say, love your enemies? Mm-hmm. I sure did. And he said, if you love those that love you back, what reward have you? So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. It's a higher thing. It is, it's, 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 it's so far away from our normal belief system that's been impressed upon us, that's been impregnated into our psyche through education and through experience and through government. All these things try to form us a certain way, and th that's one of their forms is, hey, Somebody hits you, you hit them back. It'll sue them, you know, just get, get, call your lawyer right now. But to say, just let it go is like, what? It's a shocker. People aren't used to that kind of thinking. You talk about new thinking. That it sounds to me like that guy wasn't allowing that new thinking. Well, um, it, it is what Jesus said. And in that, and in that sense, I do feel very uh, much in alignment with the, those teachings of Jesus and of Christianity. It's very different than what a, a former president of the United States who uh, advocates taking revenge on your enemies. Mm -hmm. Sounds to me, Jeffrey, that you're just this close to accepting Jesus in your heart and become a Christian. Man, you're, you're getting close, I can tell. It's written on I, your. I, I have a lot of love in my heart for what Matthew Fox has described as the cosmic Christ. The idea that at the end of time, we are all going to come together in, in a loving unity, which is where we existed at the beginning of time. And say hello. Uh, <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Je Jeffrey Mishlove, any final thoughts? Uh, website, book, anything like that? You go right ahead. Well, I uh, encourage your listeners and viewers to uh, check out my YouTube channel, New Thinking Aloud. You've been so gracious. You've been showing my logo and the name of the channel throughout this program. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, we put up four to five videos every week with uh, leading thinkers, particularly focusing on the paranormal, but with a strong emphasis on spirituality and uh, to get there, go to www.newthinkingaloud, all one word, dot com. And notice that aloud is spelled A-L-L-O-W-E-D, not mm. the other way, A-L-O-U-D. Wow. Okay. Well, Jeffrey Mishlove, I appreciate you coming on the Edge broadcast tonight. It's been a real pleasure, Daniel. I'm so glad to have met you. I'm glad to meet you too, sir. And uh, stay safe out there. And I'll keep checking out your videos too on your YouTube channel. Very good. Yes, sir. All right. Good evening. Good evening.